We've been doing a series on transforming the way that we study the Bible because we're part of a larger series on transformation of ourselves uh, called Before and After. We A few weeks ago, we, we took a spiritual selfie. You remember, we, we said, this is who I am today, but I'm going to drive a stake in the ground and I'm not going to be this person anymore. I'm going to make some changes in order to become the person that I'm supposed to be. But change is hard, isn't it? You know, it's funny. We always say, I I want to be a better mother or a father. I want to be a better wife or husband. I want to be a better neighbor. I want to be a better follower of Jesus. I want to think better and talk better and act better, but I don't want to change. And you can't have it that way, can you? Because getting better... Transformation requires change. We can't keep doing what we've always done. We can't can't keep thinking the way we've always thought. We can't keep acting the way we've always acted if we want to get better. If we want to be transformed, we've got to make some changes. And that begins with our Bible study. And so we've been talking about what are some small changes that we can make to our Bible study that will have huge impacts on the way that we live our life. So a few weeks ago, we began by saying that we have to have the humility to accept biblical truth no matter the cost. We have to have the humility to accept biblical truth no matter the cost. As I think about this congregation, I'm pretty sure there's probably people in this congregation that maybe when you were a baby, your, your parents had you sprinkled because that was their tradition. That was their religious belief and understanding. But as you became an adult, you began to study the Bible and you realized that you needed to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. You realize that that's what the Bible taught. And so you knew that's what you needed to do, but you knew the cost was going to be that it would create some friction with your family because they might take that personally. But you had the humility to accept biblical truth, even though it came with a cost. Maybe maybe there was somebody here that, that at one time you were living with somebody you weren't married to. And you were okay with that relationship and things were going okay until you started to take seriously what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality and you realized you couldn't keep living the way that you were living. And you had the humility to accept biblical truth even though it cost you a relationship. Uh, maybe there's somebody here that maybe you had a job and, and you were going, you were going great guns in your job and things were going really well and, and you were making a lot of money and people respected you. But, but then the more you studied God's word, the more you realized that some of your business practices weren't exactly ethical and you weren't being completely honest and you were doing some things that you probably shouldn't do. And you had the humility to accept biblical truth, even though it might have cost you money, maybe even cost you a job. You see, if we're going to transform the way that we study the Bible, this is the attitude with which we've got to go to Scripture. We've got to go to Scripture with the humility that says, I'm going to live my life Jesus' way, even if doing so comes at a cost. Then we talked about the week after that, how we have to study books more than verses, right? We have to study whole books, not just verses. It's easy to pull a verse out of context and make it mean whatever we want to mean. We can even take a verse from over here and a verse from over there and tie them together and make up whatever we want it to to say and to mean. But that's not the right way to study Scripture. The best way to study Scripture is to understand that that verse is a part of a larger context. 
It's a part of a book. And if we've got to, going to understand that verse, we've got to understand the book. We've got to begin at the beginning and read until the end and understand the train of thought of the author. We've got to understand what the Holy Spirit was saying through that author to the original audience so that we can understand what the book means, what each chapter means, what each verse means, and then we can apply that truth to our lives. And then we talked about the fact that although the Bible is a library of 66 books, that library, when taken together, tells one unified epic story about Jesus, about how God has sent his son to the world to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins. And so we, we talked about, we've got to see the big picture. And as we read a passage of scripture, we need to ask ourselves, how does this passage proclaim the good news about Jesus? What does this verse have to say about Jesus? Because the whole Bible really is about him. This morning, we're going to look at a fourth way to transform our Bible study so that our lives are transformed. Now, I know that there's so much more to improving our Bible study than just these four ways, but I guarantee that if we implement these truths that we can understand Scripture better. But it's not just about understanding it better intellectually, is it? What James says is, he says, listen, don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers of the Word. He said somebody that's a hearer of the Word is like somebody who looks in a mirror, and then he says, man, i gotta, I got to change some stuff. My hair's a mess, my face a mess. And he walks away, and he forgets what he looks like. It's really easy to do that, isn't it? It's really easy to show up at church and listen to God's word and then go have lunch and forget what we heard. But we've got to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that's where the church says, Amen. Amen. Okay. So just make it sure, making the point. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's, let's give a couple illustrations what we're going to talk about this morning. Imagine, if you will, a, a, a small town, maybe small West Texas town. They, we moved here from West Texas. They take football pretty serious out there, no matter how small the town is. Let's picture there's a, a small town, and they've got a, a football team who goes to the state championship, and they win. And the team is excited, and they're overjoyed, and they're so happy to go back home. They get on the bus. They make that drive back home. They get to their hometown, and the whole town has come out to celebrate the big championship win. Maybe they've got a banner over Main Street that says, congratulations, you did great. And and the players pile off the bus, and one of the players gets off the bus, and he reads the banner, and he says, Thank you. I did do well, didn't I? I can't believe you did all this just for me. He's reading it wrong, isn't he? Because it wasn't talking to him specifically, him individually. It was talking to all of them as a group. He was misunderstanding the you. The you didn't mean you individual. It meant you as a group. It meant Y'all, right? First service, somebody told me, okay, they said, here's the rule. I don't know if this is true or not, but they said, if it's between one and three people, it's y'all. If it's more than three, it's all y'all. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what, that's what I was told. But he was reading it individually rather than as a part of a group. You know, when I preach a wedding like I did last night, I, I often say, we're so glad that you're here and thank you for being here. I've never once had somebody stand up and say, well, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me, right? Because sometimes we have to listen as individuals 
And sometimes we have to listen as a group. So anytime we, we read, we hear a message, we have to ask ourselves, am I receiving this message? Am I listening to this as a group or as an individual? And here's what we need to understand about Scripture. That Scripture, from the beginning of it to the end of it, from Genesis to Revelation, was written to be received by a group. It was written to be received by God's collective people. It was meant to be received as first the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Judah and the nation of Israel and God's Jewish people. And then as we move to the New Testament, each letter, each book was meant to be received by the church. You say, well, yeah, but Wes, there, there's some of those letters that are, that are addressed to individuals like first and second Timothy or like Titus or like Philemon. Well, do you know why you have a copy of those books? Because those individuals who read those books realized that these were open letters, weren't they? Because there were truths in them that were true not just for those individuals, but applied to the whole congregation they were a part of. And not only did they apply to the whole congregation, they applied to other congregations, all of God's people spread throughout the world. And I think for the most part, people of God have understood that Scripture is supposed to be received by the group, not just by the individual. It's supposed to be heard and listened to like you're listening to a message to a group, not just to an individual. That's been the understanding for a long time. But but because of some things that have happened in our history, there's been a shift, I'm afraid. They, they invented the the uh, the printing press. That's a great invention, isn't it? I mean, before that, you know, lots of individuals couldn't read. And before that, they didn't have access to books of their own. It's pretty amazing now, isn't it? Because of the printing press and now because of the digital age, now we not only have our own copy of the Bible. You go to my office, there's a whole bookcase full of Bibles. You probably got a bunch of Bibles at your house. You can pull out your telephone and you've got a whole library of Bibles right there on your cell phone. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's a blessing from God that his word is so accessible now. But because we all have our own individual access to scripture, and because we live in the Western world, which tends to be rather individualistic, in other words, we think in terms of me, not in terms of we. Because we live in an individualistic culture and society, and because we all have access to the Bible on our own individual terms, we sometimes read the Bible with the bad habit of acting like it's a message to me individually, rather than to we, rather than to us, rather than to the group. We say, what does this mean for me, and how do I understand this, and how does this make me feel? Now, don't get me wrong. There, there is absolutely a, a, a proper place for reading and understanding and looking at it and applying it as individuals. But for the most part, we need to learn how to read it as a group. We need to learn how to receive it as it was intended to be received by each individual seeing themselves as a part of God's assembled People, I want to walk with you through the, the Old Testament especially and look at how Scripture was received by the people of Israel. And I want you to realize this, that every time or nearly every time there was a spiritual revival in the nation of Israel, 
Every time there was a spiritual transformation of the people, every time the people were reformed and changed and got better and came back to God, it was sparked primarily by the reading of Scripture to the people of God. That should tell us something, shouldn't it? You go all the way back to Mount Sinai. So you have the Israelites who are living as slaves in Egypt and Moses leads them out of slavery and to Mount Sinai where they receive the law, right? They receive the law. Now look at Exodus chapter 24 and verse 7. It says, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And Moses, after they left Mount Sinai, they went to the promised land, right? Or at least they went to the edge of it. And they went and they spied it out. Do you remember? And 12 spies go in and they look at it and they say, well, it's great, but they're really big. And they got big cities and they got big armies and they got big walls and we're just tiny little people and there's no way we can take them. Except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, 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 God's on our side. What are we worried about? But because of their lack of faith, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And after that wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and that generation of faithless Israelites dies out, a new generation is born and is raised up and Moses preaches another sermon to them and reminds them of the law and the covenant that they have with God. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. And at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, starting in verse 9, we read this. Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the feast of booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women and little ones and the sojourner within your towns that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Do you see Remember we talked a few months ago about Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we spent a lot of time talking about our home. We even made a little acronym, Honoring Our Master Every Day, right? So we are supposed to have homes where our covenant relationship with God is honored and we do that by writing God's word on our hearts and on our minds and by teaching those commandments to our children. And when they went into the promised land, Moses told them, Teach God's word to your kids every single day. When you lie down, when you rise, when you walk along the road, when you're working, when you're playing, everything you do all the time, teach them God's word. But then he also says, every seven years, come together as a nation, celebrate, have a feast. But during that time, read the law to the people. Remind them who they are as a nation. Remind them of the covenant. Remind them of who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to live. Remind them who they are. And of course, when they went into the promised land, Joshua did that with the people. Chapter 8 and verse 35, it's not on your screen, but it says, there was not 
a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Gather the people together and read them Scripture. See, that's what God always intended. That was the intention with the Torah. Not just that individuals would read it, not just that they would teach their families at home, but that they would come together as a whole people and have it read because His Word was for His group, for His nation, for His kingdom, for His people. We don't do that very much, do we? We get kind of bored, don't we? We, we get bored after five minutes of somebody reading the Bible. That, that's where somebody said amen in the first service and they shouldn't have said amen in the first service. <laughs> we get bored with scripture reading, don't we? When I was a teenager, my preacher would often take a whole book and, and, and sometimes he'd break it up and, and he'd read part of it and he asked me to read part of it. And even though I, I read part of it for the congregation, I thought that was the most boring thing I ever heard in my life. He's just going to stand up there and read to me. I read at home. I didn't realize God always intended for His Word to be proclaimed to His people. He always intended that His people receive it as being a part of a people. See, we have a tendency now to to believe that we can have this personal, individual, almost personalized relationship with God. We want everything personalized today, don't we? We want our clothes personalized. We want our car personalized. We want to order it just like we want it. We want it with all of our customizations. And we want to have our religion that way too, don't we? But that's never the way that God intended for His message to be received. He always intended it to be received by his people. You see, this is what happened in Israel. They went into the promised land and every seven years they're supposed to come back and hear the word proclaimed again. They were supposed to be teaching it in their homes, but it seems they failed to do so. In fact, we really don't read of them doing that again for hundreds of years. In fact, reading and knowing God's word fell out of fashion so very much that eventually they lost the Bible. Can you imagine that? God's people lost the Bible. They didn't know who they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to be doing, what the promises were, what the commandments were, what the law was. They lost it until Josiah became the king. And they were renovating the temple and the Bible, the scriptures, were found. Look at 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1. The king sent and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. That's the way it was supposed to be, right? That's what scripture was intended to do. And it changed the people. It reformed the people. It transformed the people. It revived the people. But unfortunately, those reforms were short-lived. And after that generation, then another generation came and forgot about God's word and who they were supposed to be and became wicked again and And of course, they 
Judah was destroyed by the Babylonians. They came in, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem, and they took the Jews off into captivity to be their slaves in Babylon. But God didn't forget his people. And he, he, he had another exodus. He, he led them back to the promised land. He led them back to Jerusalem. And under the leadership of people like Ezra and Nehemiah, the city was rebuilt both physically and spiritually. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. I apologize that we're skipping around a lot. I don't usually like to do that, but I think you can see why we need to today. All the people gathered as one man. Does it remind you what the New Testament says about the church? That we are one body, that we are the body of Christ, that Israel, that the Jews gathered together as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, probably five or six hours, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You see, this, this is how Scripture transforms God's people. This is the intention of Scripture. Scripture is intended to be received. Yes, in a sense, as individuals, we've all got to look at it and individually make a decision whether or not we follow Jesus. But Scripture is intended to be received by God's assembly. It's meant to be received by God's kingdom People, It's meant to be received by God's nation. E- even in the New Testament, when Paul is writing to young evangelist Timothy and telling him what to do as a preacher, he tells him not only to teach and explain the Bible, but he tells, them, tells him, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Scripture is intended to be received by God's Assembly. We have to learn to listen as an assembly. We have to listen as an assembly. Now, what will that do for us? What are, what are the benefits of that? One is it is going to constantly remind us of who we are. When we read with a we mentality and not just a me mentality, then every passage that I read is going to remind me that I'm a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Every passage that we read is going to remind us who we are, that we're not just individual followers of Jesus, but that we are a group, we are a church that is following Jesus. You know, one time, I've told you this story before, it embarrasses me every time I tell it, but it's a good illustration. Uh, so I was at a family reunion, and we were looking through a photo album of different pictures of our family, and I was standing there with my first cousin, okay, my first cousin, and flipping through the photo album, and I saw a picture of my grandmother, and I said to him, that's my grandmother, my first cousin, and he looked at me and said, that's my grandmother too, right? <laughs> now, now, I was right. It's true that uh, that it was my grandmother, but 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 I was wrong because I didn't say that's our grandmother. 
Do you see? A family reunion is supposed to remind you of your shared heritage. It's supposed to remind you not just who you are individually. It's supposed to remind you of who you are corporately. It's supposed to remind you of who you are as a family, who you are as a group. And if we will learn to read God's word this way, it will remind us who we are as God's assembled people. Now, I'm not saying don't read the Bible on your own. I'm not saying don't go home and read the Bible on your app or read the Bible in your personal Bible. Do that. Do that often. Do that as much as you can. But when you do, can you picture yourself as a part of a group when you're doing it? Can you picture yourself in the church at Ephesus when you read the letter of the Ephesians? Can you can you picture yourself in Philippi when you read the letter to the Philippians? And not just that, but picture yourself here. Picture yourself receiving it as a part of a congregation. And not just that, but picture yourself as a part of, as the Hebrew writer says, that great cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of martyrs, if you will. All of God's people that have ever been, that have stood fast in faith, you're a part of that group. And when you read Scripture, learn to receive it as a part of that assembly. Yes, you need to have your own individual walk with Jesus. You need to have a personal devotion to Christ. Absolutely. You cannot live your faith vicariously through someone else, period. But you also cannot be a Christian apart from Christ's church. You cannot be a Christian apart from the people of God. Scripture was intended to be received by the assembly. And we've got to listen as a part of the assembly. So when we read Scripture that way, it reminds us of who we are, and we can help each other understand it, can't we? I mean, that's the, that's the joy and the benefit of being in things like Bible classes. And Bible studies. That's the thing about being in life groups. You know, Holly and some of the ladies at times over our Christian life, she's had ladies where they'll text one another throughout the week. And they'll study a scripture together as a group via text message. And they can help each other understand it. Because when we read scripture, we need to listen as an assembly. And remember, this isn't just God's letter to you. It's God's letter to us. He's not just my God, he's our God. He's not just my Jesus, he's our Jesus. Jesus didn't just die for me, he died for us. And we've got to learn to listen that way. We've got to picture ourselves as a part of the family. Again, the things we've gone over this month. We've got to have the humility, number one, the humility to accept biblical truth no matter the cost. We've got to approach the Bible with the right attitude. With the attitude, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do things Jesus' way. I'm going to change my attitude where I need to change my attitude. I'm going to change my words where I need to change my words. I'm going to change my life where I need to change my life. Number two, we need to read and study books more than just verses. It's good to have a favorite verse. I've got my own favorite verses, verses that are powerful and that stick out to me that I like to underline or highlight in my Bible. But we've got to understand what was the context of that book. We've got to read and understand whole books of the Bible if we're really going to follow and understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then we've got to keep everything in mind of the big picture. We've got to ask of every passage, how does this proclaim the good news of Jesus. 
And we've got to, fourth, listen as an assembly. We've got to realize that this is God's word, not just for you individually, but for us as a group. Now, of course, you as an individual, you've got to decide whether or not you want to be a part of this, whether or not you want to be a part of the people of God, whether or not you want to walk with Jesus and his people, whether or not you want to be a part of the one another's, whether or not you want to bear our burdens and let us bear yours, whether or not you want to be there for us and let us be there for you, whether or not you want to participate in the fact that Jesus has created a kingdom and a people to change everything, to live in a countercultural way, you've got to decide whether or not you'll participate in that. And of course, that participation begins at baptism where we repent of our wickedness and our sin, and we say, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to be buried with Jesus, and I want to come up from that water and be a part of Jesus and Jesus' people. And then we begin that journey, and we walk that journey not as individuals. We walk that journey as a group. None of us having arrived yet, none of us being perfect yet, all of us still struggling, all of us still broken, all of us still confused and having questions, but in it together... And we want to help each other and we want to encourage each other. You've got to decide whether or not you want to be an active part of that. But that's what scripture is all about. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't begun that journey and you've decided today's the day that I put Jesus on in baptism. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement. We're in this together, not just to transform our Bible studies, but to transform our life, to leave here different then we arrived. If we can help you, let us help you. There's a room in the back. Elders after services would love to visit with you, pray with you, encourage you. They are wonderful men who would love to help shepherd you. Or you can come forward as together we stand and sing.